like getting married, Nathan. <laughs> Careful now. <laughs> Exceptionally brilliant. For a lot of people, Mbappe has that quality. For the best Euro 2020 coverage, subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Quick start car insurance that's ready when you are. Sort your policy anytime online at getsetgo.ie. Dad Pod. Well, this is a video thing as well. Have a name. Podcast. Oh, midlife crisis. Howdy daddy. Mm. Midlife crisis. <laughs> Dadcast. That's not bad actually, all right, you're very welcome along to the latest episode of Dadcast. We really are living up to our uh, our guarantee that we were going to deliver a podcast every every other week. And I'm delighted to say that we're joined uh, today by the usual dads. Obviously, Dave, how are you getting on? Hello, how are you? Nathan, how are you doing? Hey, Adrian. And uh, Jared's not with us this week, but we have a very special guest, Paul O'Connell. You're very welcome to Dadcast. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Um, Definitely an um, upgrade, isn't it? <laughs> Similar weight, but Paul's about eight inches taller. So, <laughs> Jesus, this really is up to a fire. Well, I know, I know what Gerald say, a pot kettle, but <laughs> and listen, he's not here to defend himself. It's very, very tough. It is. Um, how are you keeping, Paul? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, good form, good form, good stuff. Well, look, we've we've lots to get through over the next hour or so. You're here because you're a Gillette ambassador, and we're delighted to have you in that in that uh, context. You've shot a video that I've just been having a look at there. Um, and it's an interesting piece and it's thought provoking and conversation provoking. Do you want to give us the essence of what it's all about? Uh, yeah, well, look, it's just, uh, it was a bit of fun, really. Uh, we were talking about, uh, uh, I suppose, I definitely struggled one time at one stage, even though I love rugby and love what I was doing, I, I, I struggled to enjoy it. Um, because I would say, you know, we've made winning and losing into a life or death situation and, I suppose the ad is just about putting your best face forward, um, trying to, without the cliche of it, I suppose, just trying to understand and figure out and get to a place where, where doing your best is is good enough. Um, and I suppose it's about trying to teach kids that. Um, you know, I definitely, when I kind of, I don't think you ever get over winning and losing and how important winning is certainly as a professional player. But when I, when I got to a better place in it, I definitely enjoyed the game more. I was definitely a better player. I was definitely a better leader. I was definitely, I think a better teammate and easier to be around. And I think if we can teach kids that uh, it's really important. So my, my daughter is actually in the video for a little bit of it and uh, she's six. So playing a lot of sports and, trying to make her understand it's not all about winning and losing, but she's probably she's probably the most competitive of, of all my kids. So You're not sure to put the fear of God into them uh, at her. <laughs> With pigtails on. Yeah. <laughs> when was and the last, uh, when when did you stop enjoying it, Paul? Like, were you 14 or when you turned professional? Uh, I, d- I, I wouldn't say I stopped enjoying it. I would say I struggled to enjoy it. Um... Um, no, it definitely wasn't when I was, was 14. It would have been in the professional ranks and it would have been after, in my early days, you know, I wouldn't have been a senior player. I wouldn't have been, I think, you know, I wouldn't have been marked, uh, you know, I, I 
didn't get into the academy in my first year and then I played Irish 20s I managed to get into the academy after that and then I got on the track but I still don't know if I would have been marked as a future you know Irish international or whatever but once I got into the Irish team and once I became a senior player in the Irish team and once I started probably taking responsibility and ownership and accountability over whether we won or lost that's probably when I struggled, started struggling to enjoy it a bit. Um, whereas in my early days with Ireland, you know, I remember in the World Cup in particular in 2003, uh, I, I I didn't know if I was going to start going out there. Uh, out I went, I managed to get a starting place, but there was very little pressure on me. Everything I did was a bonus. Anything good I did was, you know, it was highly praised. And it, so... After that, things, I would say, began to change. And we had quite a good leadership group, you know, guys that, as I said, took ownership, took responsibility, I, I think, and I hope we didn't blame coaches when we lost. We, we took it on ourselves. And uh, I think a bit of the stress came in with that. And I probably, I, I always loved it, as I said, loved training, loved traveling, loved matches, loved meetings, loved arguing with people and trying to solve problems and that. But just definitely struggle to struggle to enjoy the build up to the to the big games. And generally, once the ball was kicked off, it was fine because you couldn't live in the future anymore. Uh, you you know you had to live in the moment. But up until kickoff, it was pretty tough at times. So, what's the message in this Gillette initiative to try and get it into the kids' minds that they really just need to go out and enjoy themselves? Because I'm I'm coaching under seven soccer and GAA. And all the in the, when you get into the little trainer matches, all they're asking is what is the score, and they keep the score themselves, even though the scores yeah. are relevant. They're telling me it's two one, it's three one. Yeah. My fellas getting upset because they were beaten four one. This is only like a seven minute game. Yeah, it's uh, like what what are you to be fair. Look at the coaching there. Yeah, absolutely, it was an issue there, defensive issue. But how do you get that message across that look? It doesn't matter, lads. Just. Uh, it, the does, next it does matter though it does matter you know competing is is great fun as well you know I always look back as, as as that was probably one of my biggest strengths not necessarily my ability as a rugby player was my ability I was competitive and I was a competitor but so I don't think there's anything wrong with keeping score when they're young uh, uh, but you know I, I think <laughs> I think appreciating, you you definitely need to be more mature to understand it, but appreciating, I suppose, how much fun you are having, how much, how many friendships you have, uh, how many experience your, experiences you're gathering. Um, you know, because I end up doing stuff from time to time, Q&As with various players and different things, and they're all, you know, guys get asked about their best memory, and very few of them mention about, winning a trophy or lifting the, the trophy or whatever they'll they'll talk about some obscure day when they played Gwent Dragons away and or, or you know or the two weeks after they won something or whatever you know I think when you get older it's very rarely the winning and losing you look back on with 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 the fondest memories you look back at all the different parts along the road to maybe winning or losing but how, how do you, how do you talk to how do you talk to a kid about that? Like where Dave says, where like I find that difficult. Even even I find myself checking myself with like nieces or nephews who are a bit older than my kids, who've come back from sport, and like the first thing you want to go, did you win or did you score? And you have does to really check yourself to go. 
is that not the problem that the parents are the problem rather than the kids because I'm similar to Dave mine are slightly older so we're starting the go games this weekend I was having this conversation with some of the coaches around competitiveness and you know we did some stuff on the show with New Zealand sport and they're raising the age of competitiveness all the time up to sort of 13 14 and the other coach is saying well you're not going to have players dropping out because they'll have no interest like there's no keeping scores like as you said, Paul, the kids always keep score. The yeah. problem is when the parents start keeping score. Like, you can do a penalty shootout at the end of a training session. And that is competitive sport. Somebody will end up in tears at the end of that penalty shootout. <laughs> it's, it's when the competitiveness is, well, actually at 12, the coach is upset with you because you didn't perform as a 12-year-old to win the match that they wanted. Like The kids are going to be competitive no matter what. Yeah. So let them at it. It's when you start heaping that pressure of winning and losing on them, I think the problem starts. Yeah, well, isn't that the beauty of sport? Like, you know, my, 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 my oldest boy says please and thank you, but my two youngest ones don't. Uh, it, it's a long... I see it as a long-term uh, project to teach them how to do that. Uh, you know, I don't have one answer that I can... I don't have one one-liner that I'm going to say to them that's going to make them do it for the rest of their lives. But that's what you got to do with kids in sport, isn't it? You got to... They're getting these little obstacles put in front of them all the time where they're losing and they want to they lose a match and they want to lose their mind over it and they have to learn not to lose their mind over it and they win a match and they want to rub it in the other team's face and they have to learn not to and they get dropped and they want to give up but they have to learn not to and you can only do that by you know supporting them and you know when they come in from training maybe asking them was a good crack rather than did you win even though we all want to do it and we all probably get around to finding out if they won or lost or scored or didn't but <laughs> yeah <laughs> quite quietly sitting on the couch a half an hour later so yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. well, like it's that's they, 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 yeah. they just have to learn that over time don't yeah. they um, and like I think for the rest of us Paul like the, the and I, I'm happy to speak for the other lads that that like obviously the, the levels that we reach which is why we've done this with our career rather than doing what you've done have been so pathetic that uh, you know it doesn't feed into our conversations with our kids around achieving in sport. How do you, do you find it at all difficult to separate or had you, had you to go through your own process of separating the dad from the professional sports person in terms of those sort of like quite lofty ambitions or, or concepts of, of enjoying sport? Um, yeah, I probably do. You know, I probably do. You know, you just, you have to remind yourself you just want them having the crack and enjoying sports and yeah. learning all the good things. I mean, I, I think if they can learn, I mean, I grew up swimming um, and I, I always think of three families, the Mulcahys, the Carneys and the Walshes. And we used to swim in Limerick and the Walshes lived in Newmarket and Fergus and the motorway didn't go the whole way from Newmarket and Fergus to Limerick. It was a 45 minute drive for them to come to training. And we used to train before school, six to eight in the morning. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, they, I used to only do Tuesday and Wednesday before school. They used to do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then we used to train after school in the evening, six to seven, Monday to Thursday, then seven to nine, Friday, nine to 11, Saturday, and eight to 10, Sunday. And they were never, never ever missed training, never ever late for training. And it was just the norm you know, that you, that you never miss training. Uh, you know, you'd have to, 
you know, you'd have to have the flu or bad flu to miss a training session. I never remember the Mulcahy's, the Carneys or the Walsh's. And they all went on to be fantastic swimmers and win national titles and all that. And I think that's one of the things I'd love for the kids to learn, not necessarily uh, to go on and be superstars, but to learn the commitment part about training, being on time for training, not being late for training, uh, not being late for training, um, you know, uh, uh, all those things, because I think I got a great grounding in that kind of thing from, from my swimming days. And it wasn't true, you know, as we were saying there, what do you say to the kids? It wasn't true anyone saying anything to me. It was just being in an environment where that's what you did. So we used to just copy the Kearneys and the Mulcahy's and the Walsh's. We never missed training. We were committed and we learned when you were committed and you trained a lot and you you stuck to the training, your times came down. So, I, Sorry, Paul. I, I was going to say, I remember Paulick Harrington talking about his children and the outside expectations that may be put on them on a golf course. And he always said what he wanted was that his sons looked like golfers. He didn't expect them to be single-figure golfers, but that when they stood up on a tee box at an outing, everyone would say that's Harrington's son and that they would have the right posture, they would have a nice swing and that they would be comfortable on a golf course because everybody is going to look at them and expect something. And I guess, again, that's where you're going to be very different uh, than we are, that when your kids go out onto any sporting field, it'll be, that's Paula Connell's young lad, that's Paula Connell's daughter. And there's an automatic, expect, an external expectation on them that may not be there for other kids. Do you, have you seen that or do you think that is going to be something they'll have to deal with? Um, yeah, I would say they might have to deal with it. Like Paddy, my oldest boy isn't too bothered about rugby. He plays it, but he doesn't go to bed thinking about it. He goes to bed thinking about golf and Formula One. Those are his games. And wow. it suits, you know, I think that's probably the best the best scenario really for him, you know. So he's picked the two most expensive sports in the world. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's great fun, you know, following sports with your kid. I mean, that's what I, that's my memories growing up uh, is how we most related to my dad is just, it was sports. Um, and if there was an Irish player playing, if Peterborough were playing Wickham on TV and there was an Irish guy was left back for Peterborough, my, my dad could shout for Peterborough like they were his number one team, you know, and uh uh, so I'm happy. I'm happy as an interest in sports, and he enjoys watching it and chatting about it and shooting the breeze. Um, that, no. that, that that that's an interesting one in itself, Paul. Because I know that like having chatted on the dadcast over the last couple of years about like the point where after you become a parent, it starts you to think about your own parents in a very different way. And like maybe that's the better question of all of this about how your parents like produced a world class sports person. Was that? Um, quite an organic thing. Was that just uh, bringing you to stuff as opposed to like prodding and poking at you? Well, we three, we three boys. I'm the youngest of three boys. Um, we, we grew up in a bungalow in the country with a lovely half acre out the back garden. And we, uh, we had, you know, other kids up and down the road, similar age. So we could put together a match fairly easily. I would have watched my older brothers all playing sports. So I would have been trying to copy them. Then I had an older brother, he's a year and nine months older than me, Marcus. So I was always trying to play and compete against him. So I generally did okay against kids my own age then. Um, and it was just, you know, sports on the TV all the time. 
we were lucky we didn't have a Commodore 64 or whatever they were, whatever was you, you around. Felt, you felt really aggrieved at the time, obviously. Yeah, oh, there was war over it. We had a pool table, though. Oh, um, right. What a Steve and, Davis pot black was it, or what? Yeah. <laughs> it was a very small pool table, yeah. And uh, but it was just sport on in the house all the time on TV. So sport was our thing, um, um, and and that's that's you know when Wimbledon was on, we were we had a lovely piece of tarmac there. We used to put pallets up across the garden, and we used to draw chalk on the thing. We used to make tennis courts. You know, when the golf was on, we used to mow the lawn down low and play golf out the back. When the snooker was on, we were playing snooker. When the darts was on, we got a dartboard. Regular Irish childhood, playing loads of sports. And um, I think playing loads of sports then, when I eventually ended up playing rugby at about 16, I had, you know, had a good bit of, I suppose, fitness coordination, hand-eye coordination, that kind of stuff. Mm. You know, I... I I don't think my dad had put any pressure on me to play sports, but there was always a thing. There was always any sport we wanted to play, there would be an opportunity to play it provided. Um, yeah. That's a real problem nowadays because you do get to, you see kids maybe six, seven, eight, nine, and they, they still don't know how to throw. They still don't know how to kick. They probably haven't climbed a tree. They, they you can see when they're running that the running style is, is all wrong. And you're, it, it, you have to actually, in an official capacity, almost break it down and start from scratch at that age where, where you're throwing darts or hitting putts or trying to hit a tennis ball when you were six, seven, and eight. Every time Wimbledon was on, we were on the road lashing tennis balls down the street yeah. at each other. No one ever had to teach us that thing. It just, it was a natural, organic development in your physiology that by the time you were 10, you'd been throwing and hitting and kicking for six, yeah. six years. It's a real problem nowadays with young kids. Yeah, and there used to be loads of basketball courts around as well. It's my memory growing up. So we played loads of basketball. You know, I played a little bit in school for for, for our school team, but, by, but by, I played loads of basketball, but very little competitive basketball where I had a jersey on. Um, like we had a basketball court um, out the front of my house uh, growing up that my dad got put up. I mean, it was just, it was hours and hours and hours of matches and games with families coming up from down the road. People would cycle over because we had a, a really good basketball ring and we had tarmac, so the ball bounced straight. And, uh, you know, so we got, we taught ourselves how to run, catch, sidestep. So I think that's the thing, you know, that kids, kids need... You know, you got to bring you got to bring your kids to sports. You got to bring them to 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 rugby and football and and all that. But the more you can provide ways that they can play games themselves for hours on end, where you're not the ref or you don't have to be out there uh, with them, I think that's where they really learn, isn't it? And you know, that's one of the challenges I think we have in rugby in Ireland is a lot of kids play rugby, but. I don't think they necessarily go out and play a game of touch rugby in in, in groups, whereas they do that in New Zealand. Um, uh, you know, there's touch rugby on at small break, big break, touch rugby on after school, and then they train in the evening with their club. Whereas I, I, I'm not sure how much of that we do until we go training with our club in the evening. 
do we overplay? Like I'm conscious of people listening to us and sort of thinking it's like a bunch of uh, men in their late 30s or, or 40s and uh, like... Ah, listen, the kids aren't out in the street enough these days playing sport. I wonder if we have we lost touch, or like, is there? I don't know. Is there a different? You have kids, Nathan, obviously at that age that are. Yeah, much- but uh, I've said before, I'm quite lucky in that we have a green, like an old traditional green, right outside our house, and I would look out here at three o'clock this afternoon, and there'll be ten lads, all between six and ten, kicking lumps out of each other, playing football. One of them will go off crying. They'll come back. As you say, they're their own referee. They're falling over the place. Uh, and it's brilliant but like the country has changed dramatically since we grew up whereas Paul said you know traditionally you'd grow up in that sort of bungalow or even on the outskirts of a city and there was lots of green space like the majority of people now live in cities there's very little green space the government haven't kept pace with uh, you know build massive estates never followed through with what was meant to be there and sort of the recreational side so like for an awful lot of people it's impossible unless you break the only outlet they have is the organised training session because where do you find that plot of space where you can let your kids go and run and just as you say run into each other fall over get used to getting a, a, a proper bang not having daddy around to go cry into so I, I i think it's a it's a big old talking point that doesn't have a, a straightforward answer yeah green space is massive we live in a cul-de-sac so we have a, we have a great setup you know they're they they, they 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 leave in the morning and you don't see them till they're hungry it's great well, this is obviously, it is obviously... Uh, it's great from, like, <laughs> you get a break point of view. It's not like a great dad. <laughs> well, that, that that was going to be our next question because it, it is obviously the dad cast and we have been chatting about being dads for years now, right from when our kids were newborns and Nathan's two older boys now are, like, heading towards 10. So um, what is it like being a dad for you? What sort of a dad are you? What what's For you, what is the best part about being a dad? God, um, I I think it's just the the crack, really, isn't it? It's just the the stupid the conversations where you're not too you know you're not too worried about you're not too worried about where the conversation is going. Like I enjoy I enjoy getting up, doing the breakfast, bringing them to school. I'm lucky with the work I'm in at the moment. I get the chance to do that. Uh, I enjoy collecting from school, uh, just shooting the breeze and and the silly stuff. I suppose um, I think it's definitely it definitely makes you more patient and it definitely makes you play the long game. You know, uh, certainly in rugby or or in coaching, you're always looking for the killer one liner that can solve the problem or or flick the switch for someone that that makes them do what you want them to do or we need to do or but it's like you we were saying there about the please and thank yous it's it's a long-term project um and i think the patience space has been great for me anyway um do you lose your rag with them i probably do yeah i probably do sometimes yeah um, that must be that must be fearsome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I can put on I I can put on losing the rag. That's that can be good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but what's the best part? I don't know. It's it's all the mundane parts are the best part, aren't they? You know, we're lucky. We we used to, I used to eat my dinner watching Home and Away on my with my dinner on my lap. Uh, whereas Emily's family they all sit down together, so we do that 
uh, at Emily's behest. And that is great fun. You know, the, the, the arguing, not the arguing, but the manipulation that has to go on to get them to eat their dinner and, um, uh, and, and the chats that comes out about school or whatever is happening at the time. That's probably, you know, those mundane bits are probably the best, best part, aren't they? How hands-on are you, Paul? Like you mentioned there about making the lunches and stuff. Are you? Is it 50-50? Um, it's probably not 50-50 with the cooking at the moment because, uh, you know, I, I'd have a pretty heavy workload, but I'd say most of the other bits would be 50-50, maybe. Um, <laughs> Starts whispering it there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I hope I hope she'd say that now if she yeah. if she had her on the mom cast if you have one. <laughs> Not yet. That's the, next, that's the next project, yeah. Yeah. We've all we've all been through that sort of casting forward, what the percentages is, and then I certainly got back to have a chat with my wife afterwards. But I've been like, I said it was 50-50. Is that about right? <laughs> yeah. Just in case you hear this. I was under pressure and I just did it. That's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just came out. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, but the, the, it, like the 50 50 is interesting how you break it down. And that, you know, Paul, you say you bring the kids to school and pick them up from school. You wouldn't count that, I'd say, as part of the 50 50 because it's just something you really enjoy doing. Oh, it's a dust. Yeah, it's great. It can be. Uh, you, you mentioned about losing the rag there, and like people tend to be like, do you know, one thing that I find great is that. Um, and I bumped into somebody at the, and I must say hello to him, uh, uh, Peter at the park on Sunday, who was mad keen to talk, big uh, Dadcast fan, very this related. Guy, this guy definitely sounds made up. Yeah. Um, yeah. He had, he had Peter three, at the park. He had three kids, I think, at the playground in Honey Park, great playground, but it must be very frustrating for the people who live in Honey Park when there's millions of people coming in to use it. It's, it's like Disneyland. Um he has three kids, I think three daughters. I think he said there were six, five, and four. So uh, I wasn't sure if that was the end of it. So, I mean, it felt to me to be a very planned process. So <laughs> we'll do that, that, and that, and then we'll finish. But um, sorry, I'm totally thrown as to where the hell we were going with this. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you're, just, you're just trying to show off in front of Paul that you went to the playground and somebody recognized who you were. Oh, He's yeah, listen, it's, what's, what's rare is beautiful, Nathan. you got to get it out there. Yeah, um, I, I, the uh, losing the rag is something we talk yeah. about the, uh, sometimes in that it's one of the things, like when I look back at, say, when my parents would lose the rag, when you're a kid, it's such a serious, important thing. But when you're a parent and you lose the rag, <laughs> like you've forgotten about it two, three minutes later, that actually at the time that the kids are looking at you going, Jesus Christ, and that they never realize that actually, I don't want to say you don't care, but like this is a, it's just something you've done and you've moved on and you probably sat down and watched TV and forgot it even happened. And you wouldn't, like, do you wonder what, what, Mark that leaves on them uh, those moments of losing the rag. They need it. They need a bit of adversity in their lives. I thought we. I would have thought it was the opposite, though. Nathan. I would have thought, yeah. Whereas if I and, and Paul, uh, we don't. We're not going to assume that you've listened to every back episode of this um, podcast, or any, <laughs> or any of them, <laughs> or that you know of its existence before eleven o'clock this morning. But, I hope um, that uh, when Adrian uh, said uh, Paul was coming on and mentioned the Gillette thing, that you might have left that a bit longer and said that maybe when Paul was down in Carton House relaxing, he just loved to listen to Dad cast and use those <laughs> pearls of wisdom when he ba went back into the coaching room. <laughs> but we, I used to email myself, Paul before I fell asleep, send an email and then the subject line would be, don't lose the rag. 
So it'd be the first thing I saw the next morning when I checked my email, <laughs> a little reminder that even if they make your blood boil over the next 12 hours, that you're not going to lose your rag. Because I'm the, I looked at the complete opposite way, Nathan. When I lo- really, when the red mist ascends, it, I carry that with me for hours and probably think about it the next day. Whereas I look at the two lads and it's like it never happened 10 minutes later. They've yeah. just completely forgotten that it, that Daddy has absolutely lost the plot. And Didn't just you throw one eyes. of their bicycles over a hedge one time? <laughs> <laughs> That's completely incorrect. It was a scooter. It was a scooter. Yeah, I fired it into a park over a hedge once. But like, look, wait, there's no need to rake over those stones. That's we've dealt with that. I I received. I think that might have been that. that. That might and have been the thing I've that led to the... move on. I'd rather you didn't bring it up again. That might have been. We're going to break over those guys. That might have been the thing that led to the emails, if uh, memory serves. But I think the and Dave is just dropping out in the stair. I think at a very timely moment, obviously. Um, that 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 is a it is an interest like that that point, Paul, about sort of like the stuff that you were saying about the please and thanks by trying to get them to eat the dinners or whatever. There are all those moments during the day where I would be in more Dave's camp, I have to say, where I think that. The kids go, I, like I would often say to my young fellow, like I take him away after he's lost the rag and I try and get a quiet moment where we can calmly discuss what happened. And like I find that like a minute and he's four and a half now, but so he's not maybe old enough to understand those concepts. But I do find that like a minute into the conversation, I'm saying to him, uh, now do you understand what I'm saying? He can't even remember why we're talking. Like, yeah, yeah. He seems yeah. totally lost on Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's your what's your sense of that those that those things or that like Nathan? Yeah, point, no, Nathan, my, I remember, Nathan, them, I remember my dad. Deeply. I remember my dad whenever he lost the reg, uh, uh, because he's such a kind of a softy that we actually used to end up laughing, which used to make him even angrier. Um, that's that's one of my memories of it growing up, but. Uh, Oh, look, well, my guys, yeah, we, we always speak about a day in, in Italy. We were on holidays and Paddy was only three and I, I lost a rag with him and really gave out with out him the first time ever. And he came in and he was like, everything was please and thank you and sorry. And you know the way they don't know when sometimes you say, what do you say? And they go, please, thank you, sorry. <laughs> they don't know which is the one they fired them all. Yeah, yeah. And Emily always talks about that day, about how how nice he was and how good he was for the next few days after. But the other two that came after him, it just it doesn't have the same effect. Like, you know, you 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 lose the plot with them. You might get the the get them to apologise to the sister or the sister to apologise to the brother barely, and then they move on and they're back to the back to the way they were. So, What's are you wary? Um, are you wary, Paul, of being Paul O'Connell admonishing his children in public? Are you? Would you? Do you worry that someone will see you like wagging the finger and laying down the law, and they're like, oh, that's Paul O'Connell roaring at his kids? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I wouldn't do it in public now. I'd be very much undercover, um, <laughs> kind of pretending to hug him, but I was uh, actually tripping. Him. <laughs> <laughs> when you get home, <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, do you? Uh, do you? I was going to say, do you treat your children differently? Do you worry about your children differently, the boys and the girls? Like, I know, say, my eldest lad is nine and a half, and 
know, he's entering that age where he's getting into computer games. Some of his friends are starting to have phones. And I wouldn't say I'm massively concerned, but I talk to friends of mine who have girls in the same class and they are scared shitless about what the next three, four years will bring for them because of social media and all of that. Uh, do you have different worries about your boys compared to girls? No, I'd be... Um, my only thing is that... that I, I really love the kids to play sports, whatever sports it is. I really love to play it and I'd love them to keep playing them into adult, you know, not just to play it into, into adulthood, not just to play it till they're 13 or 14. And I've a six year old girl that um, I'm hoping gets the bug for some kind of a sport and keeps playing it. And the, the, you know, it's so easy for the boys. Like there's so many other boys that are into other sports around them. Whereas that isn't necessarily the case for the girls yet, even though I think we're heading in the right direction. And I was at a marketing thing about a year ago, but there was a lady from the, uh, I think Scottish football federation. Uh, and she was into promoting the game for women and, and girls. And one of the things she said was she asked the people in the room, you know, who have boys and girls, when you, when you have boys, you, you buy them jerseys straight away and you take a photo of them. You know, I, I've photos of my boy with holding a Hurley when he can only lie in the cot and there's a rugby ball in the cot and there's, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and we didn't do that for my daughter, you know, um, and she was saying that that's that's what we do, you know. We 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 pretend or we think we want all our kids to, to we want our girls to play sports, but subconsciously we actually don't give them the same encouragement as we give our boys. And I I was texting my wife because I'm always arguing with my wife. We should be dressing her in tracksuit bottoms and and jerseys the same as Paddy, um, but uh, my wife kind of dresses her uh, a little bit girly and stuff, but. Um, and, and so that's, that, that'd be my only worry. I'd love, I'd love, I was chatting to, uh, a lady the other day. She's, she's 32, she's two kids. And she was talking about dying to be able to get back training. She plays camogie, I think. And, uh, you know, I'd love for, I'd love for my daughter to be, you know, in her twenties or in her thirties and playing GA or rugby or, playing golf or whatever it is. Um, but they definitely don't get the same encouragement. I think some of the ads on TV at the moment are great. Um, you know, I think there's a, a brilliant ad, a Paralympic ad where Ellen Keane is in it. Um, so those just, you know, I know it's a cliche, but, uh, you know, the girls need to see other girls playing sports uh, on TV, on the newspaper, on TV ads to, to keep them playing. And, and and I'd love for Lola to keep playing sports. I've um, I've broached the idea with my wife of inventing uh, that uh, uh, career, sporting career that she had by way of uh, being a role model for the, for, for our youngest, that uh, she'll grow up thinking that her mother was this amazing, let's say, inter-county camogie player and, uh, you know, played in front of 60,000 at Crow Park. And then by the time it's like too late that it'll already have infused and inspired, inspired her to play sport. That it'll be too late that by the time she realizes it won't make any difference anyway she'll have already but i don't know how that's going to work but i did i did actually think Paul, when you were chatting there about um 
so we've had the, a boy four and a half and then a girl two and a half and I've noticed a lot I would do a lot with the younger one of like kicking the ball with her or trying to play a bit of sport with her and she really responds to it like and yeah. and like I don't know if I was a dad 10 years ago or 20 years ago that maybe I wouldn't have done that sort of stuff but like there's no barrier to her like she's she's as mad into it as uh, maybe more than than he is and it's just about fostering that passion and, and inclusion almost but as you say it's you have to consciously nearly engage in it I suppose the barrier to her is that, you know, when a boy goes into school, there's a whole lot of other boys talking about Ronaldo and Messi and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And it, it just isn't there as much with girls yet, um, whereby they have a peer group that's talking about sports and playing sports nonstop. Um, so that that's the, that's the challenge, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. The jerseys one is an interesting one. Although I will say, with the four and a half year old, uh, he was given a Leinster jersey recently, and you'll you'll enjoy this one, Paul. He he won't put it on him. <laughs> so I don't know if he's waiting for a Leinster jersey or what's going on, but he, he ain't getting it anytime soon. Anyway, why won't you get him a Munster jersey? Well, he has no connection to Munster at all, and I I really wouldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't endorse or encourage anything that would be uh, would be sending him that direction, Paul. Yeah, but why have you got that thing behind you then on the wall? That's that is that is that is a, that's a good question. I mean, that's an entirely different podcast. I I bought that at an auction. Uh, it's it's a program from the famous uh, New Zealand game in '78. Yeah, and uh, it has a menu inside the whole work. So what the lads were eating that day. Okay, lovely. But um, but that's what that's doing there. My 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 thirst for good match programs, Paul, knows no uh, uh, boundaries of of rivalry. Give me the impression that you were. Uh, I wouldn't want to do that, Paul. That'd be, that'd be, I'd be, I'd be mistaken. You'd be vastly mistaken with that. Nathan, I'd say, say you were back in the day, Adrian. I was not. Would you go away? Yeah. I, I, the, the only <laughs> province I haven't been accused of supporting so far is Ulster, but I'm sure at some point that'll be, uh, that'll come my way as well. Um, oh, Nate, go on, Dave. Sorry, Paul. Are you, are you absolutely happy for the kids to play rugby? Would you be? Think, would you be happy if they, if some if Paddy, for example, or one of your or your or Lola was ended up playing a rugby into adulthood and at a professional level, given all the talk around um, head injuries and you, the the fact that your generation are sort of the guinea pigs for the first tranche of professionalism, and we're unfortunately now starting to see some of the results of that coming down the tracks. Uh, I I would yeah um, tentatively I I think it's a great place to learn rugby very very young is is a great way to learn you know if you can learn to tackle young um you learn i think you're learning a very important skill at a, at a very important age when people are small and they're not so fast so um i'd be very happy for them to play rugby i would be tentative about it and certainly professional rugby um but you need to be you do need to be strong i think as a professional rugby player, I'd be very worried if my kid, uh, you know, was a, a good rugby player and then, you know, wanted to be a professional rugby player and it wasn't happening in Ireland and he went into the lower leagues in, in the UK to try and do it or the lower leagues in France to try and do it because, uh, you know, you, you, you the budgets mean playing groups are small. I think guys play injured quite a lot. Um, and a lot of the thinking is quite short term. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy, happy for them to play rugby. 
happy because maybe I have the knowledge, I think, as well of what's right and wrong in terms of tackling. And I'd know when they've when they've had a bang or a proper bang. Um and um but I would I like to see him going playing professional rugby in the lower leagues or leaving Ireland to play professional rugby. Not that I don't think it's heading that way uh, anyway, but I, I wouldn't be mad about that because I see, you know, I see even my my short time in Paris, budgets are so tight, promotion, relegation, financially to clubs is so important that a lot of the thinking ends up becoming quite short-termist and guys end up playing injured quite a lot. Would you have had give us your credentials, Paul? In terms of what what ages are what makes and models have you got? We didn't establish that at the start at all. Eleven, six, and the girl. That's the girl in the middle, and then I have a three year old. There would have been there. There obviously at that timeline there would have been, and I'm fairly sure I remember somebody. You would have had some of them at games at times, would you? And sort of yeah. after matching. Yeah, that was. It's one of my first memories is playing for young monsters. Any time Peter Claus he played. At the time, he was playing for Munster and Young Munsters. But any time he played for Young Munsters with us, he always had his son Luke in the change rooms with us, who was three or four or five or whatever age he was at the time. And he'd just sit down. But, you know, there'd always be sweets or bananas or or some kind of lucasade or something. He'd have one of those in his hands and he'd be sitting down and, all the players would be chatting to him and he'd be helping dad pack the bag and then he'd be up in the bar eating a bag of crisps or whatever it was. And it's just a lovely memory. And, I, mm. you know, I would have been 20 at the time. Kids would have been far from my mind, but um, I would have always thought it would be a cool thing to do when I had kids. So he used to, Paddy used to come into the change room after games. He'd be there with Rory Best's son, Ben Best, and Mike Ross's son, Kevin Ross and we generally after after the internationals anyway we always said there was lots of, of kind of sweet sugary foods that's what helps you recover so they'd be eating jellies and Jaffa cakes and all these kind of things and there's a lovely warm up room in under the Aviva Stadium as well they'd be in there killing each other the three boys so they were lovely memories uh, after games um, and I you know, I don't think he even remembers them. I must ask yeah. him if, if he remembers them, but they were they were lovely moments. He would have been about three, say, Paul. I'm thinking maybe the uh, the, the Lions tour of Australia in 2013. Yeah. What was, what was that like for you? Because I haven't I have been away for much longer than a two-week spell as a commentator yet, but like the two weeks was great for the work involved, but my God, I missed them so much. What was it like being on a, on a Lions store, for example, and you're, and he's so young and you, you just want to be spending every second at home. Yeah. My wife ended up coming down for, for, for about 10 days during the tour. So she wasn't there for the last test. She was there for the first test, I think. Um, so it was great to, to catch up with them, but it, honestly, and I, I don't want to sound shallow, it, I didn't struggle with being away. Uh, you know, we had, um, I'm pretty sure we had my second child when the World Cup was on in 2015. Um, I think <laughs> God, I should know that, but that's fine. <laughs> I never, I never struggled back then. But now that they're older, I, I do struggle when I'm away for literally four days or five days. I would find it hard. But I, you know, if I was away for four weeks on tour back then, 
I di- I didn't struggle with it. Uh, I I don't know why. Um, but Is now sleeping great. <laughs> sleep absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sleeping great. I'm probably in the zone, and I'm probably not glad to be away, but glad to be able to really focus because you, you know, sleep is so important. It's so funny, you know, when you have kids, you, you know, you could really get rattled if you had a bad night's sleep before you have kids, before a big game. If you didn't sleep well, I, you know, I'd be thinking, God, am I, am I right for this? Whereas um, then you have kids and you have a big game and you sleep four hours maximum for five days in a row and you go out and play and it doesn't make a whole lot of a difference <laughs> to you. So, um, so those, those are the challenges, but no, I never, to answer your question, I never, I never struggled with it. And I don't want to sound shallow, but I, I do now. Um, I do the, now the, when I'm away and it might only be three or four days that I'm away for now. The one area that you might seed uh, ground in that area of being away on tour, Paul, to anybody else in this podcast is Nathan, who's a prolific tourer for long periods of time at all sorts of key moments. No, 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 no. Listen, I, listen like Paul, you know, professionally, you got to go do a job sometimes. And if that means you have to go to Paris for five weeks during a World be, Cup. Be uh, in the zone, Nathan, be in the zone. Stay in, stay, stay in a nice apartment in Versailles and uh, travel France in the middle of summer. Like That's, that's what you got to do for, you know, the people. The people, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'd agree with Paul. I, like, I went to, my eldest lad was born, I think he was four months. I went to the Euros in 2012 to work for a couple of weeks and then came back for a couple of weeks and went to the Olympics for three weeks. And maybe it was just was busy. I wouldn't say I didn't miss them, but I, you know, you're kind of, I felt my wife was in control. Whereas now when you're away, I find, not that we get away anymore, but now when you're away, they're more crack now. So you're actually missing something or like mm. they're playing matches or there's something yeah. happening that you want to be there and be able yeah. to see them and be a part of. Whereas... At that age, there was just looking after and making sure they're fine, which, you know, I'm sure uh, my wife was well capable and was well capable of doing. Whereas now there's always, you know, even we're, uh, as I'm about to head off in a minute, a big family adventure going camping this weekend. Like they're missing all their football matches and their GA matches. Mm. And like already up by myself and the two lads are kind of, ah, just love to stay. Like, and, you know, all tomorrow will be around going out to like cooler somewhere for a match and the crack that they'd have and it'd be like five or six hours and like they're the things particularly if you know going back gone every Sunday to Premier League matches you would miss like it was a they're a training you're not there you're one of the only dads because it is still a dad thing quite often the training so that definitely more than ever I would miss being away for a weekend and like my entire weekend routine now is around them the people I hang around with it's through their football and sports so yeah it's a different thing so I'm going to have to go lads a car has to be packed. Well, There's a lot of pressure uh, on. You have a bad record with camping. I'm, I am concerned for you. And I'm concerned for the weather this weekend if you're going camping. Where well, this is the first camping? time in about... Down to Kinvara. Oh, lovely. Yes, yes. So uh, we have camped a lot over the last three years uh, with the weather, as Adrian mentioned, getting progressively worse each and every time. So this is the first time in, I think, three years we're going to have what looks like a nice weekend. Yeah. Does your wife but, know the Euros kicks off tonight? That was debated. Um, <laughs> yes, as she did point out as when I raised it, she's like, well, give me a weekend that does suit you, uh, where there's no sport on that you would be happy to miss. So I acknowledge there's not many of them uh, around. So yeah, the I'm it's the seven year old is more upset than I am about this and is planning his. Can we watch Turkey Italy somewhere on a phone or something? So yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm sure. Well, enjoy, man. Well, enjoy. All right, Paul. I hope I hope you've learned a lot that you can uh, take with you for the rest of your uh, <laughs> career from this. <laughs> Never mention it again. Yeah.
Take it easy, Absolutely. lads. Good bad. Good luck. Um, Paul, just one, one, one other thing that we certainly want to talk to you about was the, it's a topic that we come back to a lot. We've maybe touched on it a little bit earlier on, but just about that idea of your relationship with your parents as you become a parent yourself and the, how you start to realise sort of the, the lengths they, they went for you and uh, and that that relationship and the questions that it kicks off or the thoughts that it kicks off. or the, I, I have found certainly the conversations that it kicks off uh, with my own parents in a way that stuff that you get to talk about that you that you never really would have done before did you find that or or not yeah um you know what i found it even more from uh i do a little bit of work with bernardo's and uh it's only when you start doing that and you realize some of the problems in society and you realize how lucky you are or I realized how lucky I was to have the childhood I had and to have the parents I had and all the things you take for granted. Uh, you know, you think it's, you think it's just everyone has it, you know, like one of the things in Bernardo's is, is the biggest thing they do. Or I think that my favorite part of what Bernardo's do is they have this thing called a breakfast club where kids that aren't getting a breakfast at home, they bring them into the school, they give them a breakfast um, you know, if the mom and dad want a breakfast as well, they can have a breakfast or they can learn how to make a healthy breakfast as well. But, you know, those kids are potentially disruptive in school, but you put that kid who's potentially disruptive and now he's hungry into a class and he can, you know, so they they feed them, they kind of get to know them and they feed them and they know the kid that normally comes in and he's really cheeky and full of energy and 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 and. Uh, up to all sorts of tricks and he co- doesn't come in and, and says nothing for three days. They know something is up and they're able to flag that. And it's just a great Powerful. system. But like, you know, imagine I, I, I was a healthy breakfast every morning, chats with my parents, um, great lunch in my bag, uh, you know, a hug and a, a kiss walking in the door to school been told it's been told that that they love me or whatever every single day going into school you know to think that there's so many kids in the country don't get that it's incredible so you you end up being really appreciative for all the the really simple basic things and even we go back to the sports piece um Suzanne Connolly who's the the CEO of Bernardo's would be saying to me you know we so many kids the reason she likes sports is so many kids don't have one adult role model in their lives um, whereas if you play sports, you know, I, I look back at the amount of adult role models I had in my life through sports, you know, it's, there could be a hundred of them if I had to think of them and write them down, that would be encouraging you, saying the right thing to you, teaching you little lessons, um, positive reinforcement. So, um, so when I, I think of my parents and the, the upbringing I, I I I had it was just the the, the the basics, you know. Be so grateful for the basics and having self belief by by being positively encouraged all the time. Um, so and then you meet you see some of the challenges that you have as a parent, and you know, I, I my mom in particular, my dad uh, is great, but it, it was all through sports, you know. Um, and, and my mom then you know, even though she loves sports, she wasn't too bothered either way, but she was a great example for us. Very hardworking woman, um, you know, never watched to this day, still doesn't have time to watch TV. 
which is great. So, so yeah, so you look, you, you realize how lucky you are. I think, I suppose when you have your own kids, you realize how lucky you are, but the, the stuff I've done with Bernardo's, I think makes me realize some of the skills I had, which might've made me successful playing rugby came from my upbringing. Yeah, Does that perspective that you... help you every day when you're a dad as well, Paul, in a situation where maybe you might feel like you're, you're the red mist is about to descend because Paddy has, I don't know, whacked a sister around the back of the head and ju- you just catch yourself because you know that this is such small fry that there's another parent up the road that is dealing with an actual problem and probably dealing with that on a daily basis. Yeah, I suppose it's like the... It's like the rugby coach that blames the players for doing something. You know, that's <laughs> that's what you've coached them to do. You know, it's like when I'm, you, you try and remind yourself, you try and remind yourself that it's my job to teach him to, you know, to to be able to handle that emotion or to, you know, even we were in a Bernardo Center there a, a, a few weeks ago and they did a poster on the wall with all these different, a kid, a kind of a cartoon of a kid showing all these different emotions. So they use that to try and, you know, when a kid is whacking someone across the head, they're generally hungry or they've annoyed with themselves that they've done something and they're it's acting out the other way. You know, it's our job to teach kids that, isn't it? Whereas... Are you saying that uh, if your child is something bold, that the first thing you do is look in the mirror? Like, surely you look at all other potential avenues of blame. Well, you I mean, begin here, to on consider a, yourself. here on a podcast, when <laughs> I'm reflecting, <laughs> that's what I, I, I hope I do. But isn't that, I suppose, I definitely learned that from Bernardo's, you know, that it's your job to teach them, listen, you're actually not angry with your sister, you're starving, you know, you didn't eat your dinner, like, can we just please eat some dinner and things might seem a bit better or, or whatever it is, you know. No, um, it's definitely somebody else's fault. It's definitely not a reflection on me as a parent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, uh, but I, I think that's in, that's an interesting part of it, you know, is, is the patience piece and the please and thank you is the one I always go back to. This is a this is a long term project. There's no point losing the plot and saying I've told you this a hundred times. Uh, you know, it's a it's a long term project, and and I, I I definitely didn't have that before I had kids. You know, the, yeah, we've we've been doing a thing here recently because we're going through and and the thing that we've definitely found Paul is that people who are listening are going through all the same things and certainly that one in our house at the minute uh, with the youngest one about trying to say please and thank you is can be a difficulty at time. My, my wife, I don't know, I actually really know where she came up with the concept but she gets this thing where she touches her nose so she look at the kid and touch her nose to give her that sort of non-verbal signal that I'm, I'm coming for you, I'm expecting something here and inevitably it actually works. I've been, yeah. I've been, quite surprised and delighted by uh, that's by that's higher difference. that's that's higher level i remember when dougie howlett uh i remember sitting beside dougie howlett and and lefemi maffey one day on a plane and they i they had kids and i i think my youngest might have been two or or something like that but uh it was this book they they'd all bought the book all the kiwi guys in monster had bought this book called one two three magic and the logic behind the book is, you know, when they do something bold, you say one. And then if they do it again, you say two. And then on number three, they have to go and sit and sit in the step. 
but there's all different levels. Like if you do something really bold, you can escalate straight to three. <laughs> and uh, and, yeah. and Maffy and Dougie were talking about this book, like it's cha- it had changed their lives. You wow. know? But I remember asking them about two weeks later and everything now for them was number three, straight to the step. I take it out from time to time and read it. And I like, I, do you see, there's no point because I'd be saying to Emily, there's no point in me reading this book if you're not going to read it as, as well. Yeah. You know, there's no point. We have to be aligned right. on the one, two, three here. Yeah, and she kind right. of might read a half a page and then trot down. And... She's like that lad. He's off. He's off on that stuff again. Um, Dave, <laughs> when he's not... Great magic, lads. It's, it's the secret. That, that sounds like a great concept. Dave, when he's not throwing scooters over the hedge, had a great one one time, Dave, about the putting the toys into the black bags and threatening to remove them. Oh, my yeah. God. It's outrageous. <laughs> why, is, why is it outrageous? So desperate oh. times call for desperate measures. I'm at the end of my tether. So I that make is a, a massive pick. escalation. That is a <laughs> he went straight to number 10. <laughs> this was not, you weren't there, Polly. This was not an escalation. This was the culmination of a gradual process in which I was slowly but surely being turned inside out mentally and, and emotionally. But I just, it, it was, it definitely worked for a while. They actually, you make sure they're watching you as you pick. First, you actually ask them what their favorite toy is. Oh my God. And then you say, right, well, if this happens again, that toy's gone into the black bag. And then you wa- let them stand at the window while they watch you carry the bag out to the boot of the car. <laughs> and- <laughs> oh, my God. They're going to be talking about that in therapy. <laughs> so the bag was never actually delivered to other children, as had been the threat. But um, it worked for a time. It worked. I don't yeah. think the scooter throwing incident worked. Because <laughs> the problem with that was I was definitely the victim until the scooter went over the head as soon <laughs> yeah. as the scooter disappears you are now the aggressor and the child is the victim yeah, so i gave up all i did absolutely lost all my bargaining chips once the scooter became airborne but and also as i told the lads when i first told the story there was somebody another parent there who watched it and was just horrified <laughs> who is that psychopath those children must be must lead terrible lives yeah, I, I heard one. I listened to one of the podcasts yesterday, and you were talking about your kids being in a a great phase. Yeah, they could do no wrong. That's right. The golden period. It's still, still happening. It's still going. It's still wow. going. It's um, it's very hard to put your finger on what it is. And now they're they're older, obviously, and um, it's the draconian measures that you've yeah. been. <laughs> right. Fear. Yeah. It's a, it's a tyrannical regime and w- under which they live. I don't know. They, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that days are longer. They're spending far more time outdoors. They're seeing their friends again. Um, their screen time is much more limited during the school term. So that's definitely going to be a challenge now in three weeks once the curtain falls on the school year. You have to, have to try and maintain those 6 p.m. limits Monday to Friday. Um, and in the morning, there's no screen time. Whereas when they're not getting up for school and no one has to be anywhere at there's no deadlines. It's very easy for them just to switch on this, the Nintendo or the TV. So I think all, all of that, they're, they're just happier in themselves. Um, they're eating great because they're burning so much energy at the various training sessions that they might wind up now in July for a few weeks before the new school year starts. So that's the danger. But right now, we're just loving it. They're, they seem to be generally very good to each other. And um, I'm aware, as has proven been proven in the past, this can change almost at the drop of a hat. So 
Yeah. I'm enjoying it for what it is right now. Good stuff. Long night last. Uh, right, we've been chatting to Paul O'Connell, very special guest on Diecast this week. It's all with thanks to Gillette, uh, part of their Put Your Best Face Forward campaign. Uh, it's obviously for the uh, time that is in it around Father's Day and Gillette celebrating all role models. And Paul, obviously the country's looked up to you for long enough and uh, you've got three chiselers looking up to you now and it sounds like you're doing a cracking job of it as well. So uh, keep it up. Thanks a million for chatting to us and we'll catch you up uh, again down the track. Okay, cheers guys. Cheers, Paul. Thanks a million. Take Thanks a million. Cheers, Paul. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Quick start car insurance that's ready when you are. Sort your policy anytime online at getsetgo.ie.